want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, nice. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, but hearts get Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined by my wonderful new co-host, Sean Coletti. Sean, how's it going? Terrible. Absolutely terrible. The basketball team that I follow got eliminated from the playoffs and now my life has no meaning whatsoever. Yes, sports teams doing sports things. Would you, would you like to share <laughs> with the, the listenership what's your, what's your sports team of, of choice in this arena? I, I follow the Memphis Grizzlies, and they almost pulled an upset against uh, the second seed, and it just didn't go well. But you know what? I think that that news is somewhat tempered by the fact that we got some very exciting Hannibal news. So this is our design. Uh, podcast listeners have something to look forward to in a couple weeks. Yep. there's. Uh, we're just going to tease it with there's some good stuff coming, and we're very excited. And knock on wood that nothing falls through. I believe the the Blackhawks are still in it, right? They're in hockey. The probably I'm not sure. I think so. See, because that's that's you know that's the level to which I follow non Chicago Bears sports. Uh, I, yeah. I I follow the Cubs a little bit more than that, but uh, but I'm fairly certain my ordained hockey team is still in. So that's cool. Your Bulls definitely lost in the first round for basketball. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. They did do that. But, you know, see, I can follow sports-related type things on occasion, just very vaguely. Uh, let's let's talk about television, a topic in which I am far more proficient. Uh, we, we had fun talking with you guys this week. Uh, we'll be, you know, it's, it's an episode that ends in zero, so that means it's time for another informed opinion. So this week we talked with uh, Vlad, who is a molec- molecular and cellular biologist and other things uh, about about science and research on television. That'll be coming at the end of the podcast. That was a lot of fun. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Uh, and we also spoke with a bunch of you guys this week. We heard from Augustine at the website who says, for the question of the week, which was, if you want to remind the listenership. It was essentially make me watch something. And uh, I got five different responses. And I think what I'll be doing is doing one of those for the next five podcasts each. Yeah, doing one a week and kind of meeting them out. Augustine says, my top choice would have been Legend of Korra, but since that show isn't back yet, I'm shocked you haven't covered it in the podcast since the show is excellent. I have to go with my secondary choice, and that is Lifetime Network's Drop Dead Diva, just because it's currently in its final season, and my girlfriend loves that show and is kind enough to make me watch it with her on a regular basis, so I'm kind enough to make Sean Coletti watch it. We'll be talking about that later. I say we. You'll be talking about that later in the podcast. I have so much Drop Dead Diva to talk about. I'm very excited. Very excited. As for Legend of Korra, I have been meaning to catch up with it. I haven't seen any of it. I, I saw a panel for them at Comic-Con my first year there and uh, was was pretty intrigued. The The main one, though, is I kind of am waiting to start on that one until somebody has us watch Avatar, The Last Airbender, for the DVD shelf because I hear that show is amazing, but I've never caught up with it. So maybe I need to you know go hunt out a Avatar guest. To make myself watch Avatar, and then we could talk about Legend of Korra. Yeah, that sounds about right. I That's why I wanted to put that one off a little bit as well. I've only seen maybe the first five or so episodes of Avatar, which is not enough. 
Carl also dropped us the line. He said, I was hoping uh, for, for two female podcasters for the Televerse, but I really enjoy Sean. I think he'll do great. So Carl welcomes you, sir. I mean, I can try to sound like a female. Okay. I, what's that going to mean? She said, baiting the hook. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, there's so, there's so many so many complications right now. <laughs> With Margot on Hannibal as well. Things are just getting crazy. Things are getting crazy. Well, speaking of Margot on Hannibal, of course, Sean and I also uh, co-host. This is our design, or I should say, you host, and I and I come along for the ride. Uh, it was just Sound on Sight's Hannibal podcast. You can find that up in your Televerse feed or at Sound on Sight. So we talked a bunch of Hannibal with you guys this week. Also talked um, Grimm and Game of Thrones and a little bit about the Austin TV Festival. The more I hear about the Austin TV Festival, the more jealous I am of all those people who are going. Are you familiar with the Austin Television Festival? I'm not, no. What's going on over there? They're doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, it's only their, I want to say it's second, third year, something like that. It's still early in the, the show, the festival's history. But basically, it's it's a TV convention. It's like Comic-Con, but if it was only TV and, you know, a lot smaller and in Austin. But uh, amongst other things, they will be sh screening the final four unaired episodes of Enlisted at the festival. Uh, yeah, as well as many, many other things. I know Todd Vanderwerf is playing with the idea of doing a live podcast there with uh, Todd and, of course, Libby Hill, both of whom we've chatted with on uh, This Is Our Design. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of really fun things happening. So if you're going to be around Texas, uh, Austin, Texas, in the beginning of June, you guys should check it out because it looks awesome and I'm jealous of all of you. What's a, what a horrible time in terms of weather, I would imagine, though. It would be blazing. Yeah, but you could just, you know, the, the weather issues for me are trumped by the access to delicious tacos. It's true. And we know friend of the show Ryan McGee is going to be there uh, partying down on Taco Island. So, you know, there's, it just seems like it's the place to be at that time of uh, the summer. But we should move on. We did not get any new iTunes ratings or reviews this week, but hopefully maybe next week. It does help people find the show if you guys have a few minutes. Uh, greatly appreciate any feedback there. But at Sound on Sight, we have a couple different things going. First of all, I want to mention I put together an article about the Mindy Project that's over at Sound on Sight. And we'll be talking about Mindy Project a little bit later, but I, there was literally one minute of the episode this week that I absolutely loved. Uh, so I wrote up an article about it. And uh, the monthly theme at Sound on Sight right now is why you should be watching. So uh, Depine kicked things off with Person of Interest, and Mike wrote up an article about Hannibal. Trust has got an article coming up uh, soon about Endeavor. There's several other shows that will be kind of spotlighting in uh, a, a brief way. We just wanted uh, our, some of our writers to, to put together about 500 words about why their favorite underrated show deserves another shot from viewers. Are you going to put something together for I haven't decided what show I'm going to write up yet. Oh, absolutely. I I was a big fan of the first season of Mom, which is now over, so I feel like I need to pimp that out a little bit. And actually, we're going to be talking about Trophy Wife in just a, a bit, and uh, that, that kind of falls into the why you should be watching category, although I'm not writing anything about it. Yeah, well, we'll have to, yeah, I'll, I'll have to figure out where I fall on all of this. I feel like the ones that I'm most likely to pick, other people... People already know. They're tired of me telling them why they should be watching, you know, Inside Amy Schumer or Hannibal or Orphan Black. I mean, I'll have to get more creative. So let me know. Listeners, you should let me know. Maybe you should have a uh, why 15 million people should not be watching The Walking Dead. Or following or uh, certain other shows that, yes, that's, maybe that's the way to go. That's Maybe that's another monthly theme. That's for, you know, when you get to August <laughs> or so something. 
That's so insulting to so many people involved in the creative departments. Uh, but uh, that, that'd be funny. Yeah. Anyways, let, let's uh, let's take a break now. We're going to come back. We're going to break down a long week in TV. A lot, of, a lot of good TV talk coming, guys. So we'll take a break, and we'll be right back after this to talk comedy. Daddy's got an arm, and baby's going to hold his arm by tearing it off his head. Baby's building a tower into space. Space is where he's gonna find his dad. Daddy's got an arm, and baby's gonna harm his arm by tearing it off his dad. Baby's building a tower into space. Space is where he's gonna find his dad. Daddy's got an arm, and baby's gonna harm his arm by tearing it off his dad. This week in comedy, we'll talk a little bit about Adventure Time, Faking It, The Mindy Project, Trophy Wife, Silicon Valley Veep, Review Season 1 was just finished up, and the season premiere of Louie back in Model. But first, I want to kick things off with Adventure Time, uh, The Tower, which I thought was just a wonderful episode. You could hear the, the, the song coming into this part of the podcast was from that episode, and I love the way that they took a week off from our, our Gangbuster 2 part premiere to before you know they took a week off and then now they addressed Finn in his arm and I thought that was just so well done the dealing with rage and letting go and just the handling of character on this 11 minute a week show is so respectful and creative and just wonderful so I really enjoyed this episode of Adventure Time I wanted to 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 give it a shout out here you watched Faking It uh Homecoming Out what is this I I am not familiar with the show what is it yeah, and that's a good question. And the reason that I kind of wanted to talk about it is because I don't think of all the critics that I read and listen to, I've not seen a uh, mention of it yet. And the premise here is something that very much sounds like a television series. Like, I was surprised that I hadn't seen something about this already. It, it follows two uh, high school girls who are best friends, and they're at... I, th- I want to say it's a new high school, and they're not particularly popular or anything. It's not that they're losers or anything. It's just like high school, and you never get noticed. Uh, and then they're mistaken as a lesbian couple, and then that kind of propels them into popularity. And so one of them especially really likes this and, and wants to keep that facade going, while the other one doesn't really care about that and would prefer just to, to be more upfront. But then they already get elected to be the, the homecoming queen and queen. And specifically taking down the really like catty popular girl, which is why everybody loves them at the school now. And the idea here is that one of them actually starts to fall in love with the other. That's the direction that it's going. Um, so I think on the surface, I thought that this probably would be really cheesy, but it's not so far. It's actually like very genuine, surprisingly, and just the handling of both friendship and ideas of love, I think, have been done really well so far. I mean, it, it very well might be in one or two episodes, they'll fumble it completely and it'll be crap. But right now, the humor is very sharp, it's quick, and they've done a great job of like not insulting a lot of people that probably could have been insulted by this concept um, because they're definitely criticizing certain attitudes towards it towards being able to fake something like that and also having those general those uh, genuine emotions so I, I've been impressed it's just been two episodes 
Um, it's not, you know, the best new comedy of the year yet. It's not enlisted or, or looking, but it's it's certainly way above some of the other like network stuff, like you know, Friends with Better Lives, even something like Surviving Jack, which I've liked perfectly fine so far. I'm really excited to see kind of where this goes. Well, and it's one that, like you said, I haven't, I hadn't heard about. It didn't, you know, it, it wasn't on my radar. And it, certainly, that's a tricky but interesting, interesting premise. So to see a show taking that on and wanting to explore something a little different, that's this is the year where every show, every new comedy wants to be the Wonder Years. It's nice to actually, you know, see somebody doing something different. Absolutely. Okay, and what network is this on again? MTV. MTV. But uh, let's move on to Mindy Project, the the girl next door. I I wrote up a piece about one moment that happens in this episode that I that I absolutely love. Uh, so basically, the I was watching this episode. I was going, okay, it's standard Mindy Project. I'm in, enjoying the episode. I don't really have that much to say about it. And then uh, Danny, who's being stupid, uh, decides that he's jealous of Mindy, and so that that she's going to start going out with. Uh, this new guy, and so he goes to to kiss her, uh, and she's like, and, and she pulls away, and is like, "What are you? What are you? What are you doing?" And then they actually have a conversation about how it's not okay to just grab people and kiss them, especially if you have, you know, this. There's not some like messages signaling back and forth, but it was very respectful, and it talks about uh, his. They, they sort of just explore his. Uh, issues with with her and uh, commitment and with just where they're at and I just really absolutely just the way that they depicted that because that's something you see so frequently especially on romantic comedies and sitcoms that every occasionally on dramas too uh, where it's just something that's totally fine I mean we talked about MASH <laughs> not that long ago how many times did somebody just grab and kiss a nurse because they get to um, so I was really glad to see uh, the mini mini projects handling of that of that moment. The rest of the episode was was interesting enough. We're gonna have the finale this week. It would have if if there was more time between now and the finale when it seems obvious they're gonna get Danny and Mindy back together. The name of the episode is Danny and Mindy or Mindy and Danny. Uh, then I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. But uh, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm good with the mini project right now. What did you think about this episode? Uh, this episode was fine. The, the article they wrote was great, and I think that that's a good thing to point out. I've just been kind of frustrated with the back half of this. Like It came back with two very strong episodes, I thought, and then all of that goodwill was kind of just destroyed by immediately uh, making Dandy and, and Mindy break up, and now it's just kind of back to the normal routine, which, I don't know, it, it's semi-annoying. And also, there's the news that... Uh, that Zoe Jarman's character is going to be out next season as well, which removes another like regular female character, which I find very strange. Well, and we had that great article from I want, it was Claire right earlier this year talking about how the Mindy Project is supposed to be this feminist show, but there are no women on the show, and now they're taking away one of the you know one of the three barely on the show recurring characters. So now we're going to be down to two barely on the show recurring characters. Yeah, I guess it's just it's just strange to me. I don't necessarily think that it's going to drastically affect my viewing of the show if I decide to come back for a third season, just because some of the other supporting characters are fine. I really like Adam Pally's character this season, and Morgan continues to be hilarious. But um, I don't know. I, I, the the smart way that it dealt with that criticism of romantic comedy tropes was good, but that's something that it rarely does, right? It usually just embraces the romantic comedy full on. Yeah, and... 
I really loved that moment. I would love to see them do more with that and do more like that. And if they just have, you know, after two or three episodes of them broken up, have Mindy and Danny get right back together because it's the finale, I'm going to be really frustrated. Because why am I invested in the show if you're going to just keep doing the same stupid bullshit? They're clearly capable of more. They're clearly capable of, of exploring these issues and taking them in a new direction. They've done it in the past before that I, in ways that I've really enjoyed. So I just, I really, I want more from them. That's, that's a good tag for the show. The menu project clearly capable of more. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about trophy wife. There's no guy in team. And this is a show that I enjoyed the first few episodes from, but eventually I just kind of uh, fell away from because there's so much TV to try to cover. Uh, so I, it had been a while since I tuned in and I liked this episode. Uh, there was parts of it that I enjoyed um, more than others. I think the characters and the performances are still very, uh, very entertaining and reliable. Um, it wasn't like a everybody must watch this kind of episode for me, but there were a few moments that I did very much enjoy, particularly with Melon Ackerman and the, the field hockey son. Can't remember the name. Uh, what, what was the standout element of this episode for you? Uh, actually, the standout one for me is that Jackie and Hillary ha are rarely used together. So Malin Ackerman's character gets to be the mother figure to all three of the kids. And obviously the, they also get to have their own biological mothers. And so Marsha Gay Harden also gets to be a mother figure to, to Bert often. So very rarely does Jackie get to do that with the other two kids. And, and I thought that that really worked, especially when uh, she pulls out the, the old pictures that, that Hillary had drawn when she was younger. And that was kind of a very touching moment in in a pairing in which, you know, the, Jackie's usually the, the butt end of a joke. So, and that's fine. But but that was kind of surprising. And, and like you said, yeah, this isn't necessarily like a must-watch thing. But I think that Trophy Wife has been as consistent as Brooklyn Nine-Nine was. And coming from the same class, I think that people who have enjoyed something like that series ought to check this one out because... There's there's a lot to like, and you know I think that these kids are right up there with the Belchers in terms of the the family, who the sitcom families that I get the most enjoyment out of. Warren is the the son that you mentioned, and man, he's he's turned into an all star. Just is so awkward, and is so much more hilarious because of that. So I, I definitely enjoyed that part as well. Well, and he just he really commits to it in a great way. The stuff with Bert, I mean Bert's. Oh, great with a lot of uh you know each of the episodes i tune into there's always a nice uh burnt moment or two as well and so watching his just like not understanding of the lesson that bradley Whitford's tried to teach him was pretty great throughout the episode as well but uh yeah i, I absolutely agree it, it's fun more people should be watching trophy wife and i'm gonna have to poke you about writing up that show for for the monthly theme maybe but let's move on to silicon valley signaling risk i thought this was the best episode of the season for them i was laughing a lot through this one, the the dynamic between Kumail Nanjiani and Martin Starr and Zach Woods is really the highlight of the show for me right now. And th this episode featured a lot more of that uh, interplay with those three. What did you think of this episode and uh, and that mural? Oh man, yeah, there was that. And you're right. This this was probably the best episode. I find it hard sometimes to to reconcile like really easy comedy with much more nuanced comedy that makes me laugh out loud. But that like virtual chat fail had me laughing out loud so hard i had to pause silicon valley just to take all that in that was perfect because it goes from that then on to like the the google chat thing which also doesn't work and of course he gets a phone call and that doesn't work either that was absolutely perfect despite being really easy 
Are you saying that maybe as podcasters we can identify with Skype acting <laughs> up? <laughs> no. Maybe on your end, okay, but my technology works perfectly. Always. Always. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 and, and just like from the, the Steve Jobs kind of figure, just going from serene and together like he always is trying to be to just so pissed off about <laughs> It was it was great. There was there was a lot of really fun fun moments. The whole is that racist conversation was pretty great. A lot of fun there too. Uh, I like their take on uh, on Banksy. As that's the why well, it's not it's not Banksy because we know who he is. But mm-hmm. the the you know the graffiti thing and the logo ending up being exactly what they you know. I, I thought I thought there was a lot to to like about this episode. Who is the standout yeah. character for you right now? Uh, I you think you mentioned it last week, and I, I'm noticing it more now that. Zach Woods' character is, if not the best character, he's really important because he, he knows exactly what the business needs to do. And um, and I think Richard doesn't really see a lot of that because he's so kind of bogged down with all the anxiety that comes with doing this startup. Um, so I, I see his character as being really integral, although he probably doesn't make me laugh as much as somebody like Ulrich or, or Guilfoyle does. Okay. And then the other scene I did, I just remembered that I needed to mention here was that that lunch with Christopher and Welch and uh when the the two come face to face uh oh man that was that was that was good stuff and I I think it's just wonderful that people who didn't watch uh Rubicon for example are getting to to see uh how great a performer Christopher and Welch really was and I don't know what the show's gonna do how they're gonna handle the you know the actor's death but um but yeah it's certainly gonna be a challenge for them Come season two. Uh, let's move on to, to Veep. We're talking a little bit about Zach Woods, and he pops up in this week's episode of Veep. My review for it is up at the AV Club. Uh, I, I thought this was a fun episode, but you know, I liked last week's better. I was laughing a lot more, I guess I'll say, at last week's and this week's. It, was, it laid a lot of groundwork and did some good stuff, but I just I wasn't laughing as much, so I gave it a B. Some people weren't happy about uh, What did you think of, of fishing of this episode of Veep? B for blasphemy. Wow. No, I think that's about right. Um, yeah, we, we kind of theorized last week that where the direction in terms of buying a campaign manager was going, and it was kind of surprising that she did end up uh, going with Dan. Um, but you're right. There were probably fewer standout comedic moments, maybe. I guess it helped last week that it, it revolved around that central visit to the company, and, and this kind of seems a little bit more disjointed, but I, I liked uh, Diedrich Bader's character, Erickson, who was being vetted as the potential campaign manager that was entertaining, and everything that had to do with what Mike is doing in this episode, I thought, was was kind of sickly wonderful. Um, but, yeah, kind of just a, a standard Veep episode, which is fine. Yeah, which is, a standard Veep episode is a good episode of comedy. Uh so you can check out my review for my further thoughts. Uh, let's move on to review season one. They just finished up. It was um, quitting your job and being Irish is this week's episode. But what have you thought of this season of review? Uh, I've been surprised by how solid it's been. I know a lot of people have mentioned specifically uh, pancakes, divorce pancakes, but several of the episodes I think have really worked. And the the great part is the the continuity or the serialization, I should say. So um, everything that, that Forrest goes through comes back in later episodes, and that definitely works towards its benefit. I'm not so sure that this was the best finale. Like, 
having the being Irish at the end, I guess, wouldn't have made more sense just to do like the quitting of the job and then the last day. But um, I was definitely laughing though. So again, Comedy Central has a pretty strong lineup now, and this is definitely one that I would want to see them keep around for a few years, um, especially because, like, well, like you said, in terms of uh, having technical difficulties as podcasters, we also review things, and so having a show dedicated to reviewing is is something that I think we should have on television. Well, and I don't know how they do season two after the way this ends. So that's interesting, but I, I've just loved seeing Andy Daly really get to play. Uh, he's shown up on uh, Silicon Valley this this season. I think he's going to be back before the end of the season there, as well as a couple other places. But he's the show feels like it's very suited to his comedic sensibilities, and he does such a great job in that role. And you're right, it, the the show could be a lot of fun if it just was the show and without the home life. It would still be an entertaining, diverting half an hour of television, but because of the way they handle the fallout from everything. And I mean, I think that that wife character is so crucial to making all of it come together. Uh, that just that elevates it to an, another level. So I, I've, I, everybody was talking about pancakes, divorce pancakes. Uh, I thought that episode was fine. Um, for me, it really was about the consistent build over the course of the season to the point where you do it, that to, it all to me comes down to that bar scene with, with Forrest and his wife, but has this all been for the show? Like, that's the culminating moment and the way that that was handled, you know, I thought really did work. So I, I'm a fan of the season. The When the scene where he has to quit the job at the, the coffee stand was so oh, heartbreaking. That was terrible. Oh, I, I like to think that he went and got his job back at the coffee stand. That's what he's doing for right now in his transition. It seems mm -hmm. like that's... Yeah. That's a really positive way to end that, so that's good. Yeah. We'll think, <laughs> we'll think that. We'll think that. Uh, the the last show we're going to talk about for our week in comedy is the uh, season premiere of Louie, Back, and Model, and my review for this is up at Sound On Sight. Uh, what did you think of these two episodes? Good God. Oh. Louie is in a class of its own altogether, and it's literally not missed a single beat since it's been gone, and I absolutely love both of these episodes, I guess is the bottom line, that there's a certain amount of magic realism that I think he's drawing on more in these two episodes than he has in the past, although we've certainly seen aspects of that in the past, and I thought that that really worked towards its benefit, so when we see uh, Blake, the model character, kind of mentioned to him that this might not be reality, I thought that that was a good way of toying with that notion, um, and just, man, fantastically directed. The, the shot of her running out into the ocean... And also the first time that we see the two of them on the screen together when they're outside of the, the benefit and they're just so far apart from each other trying to have that conversation um, was absolutely beautiful, I thought. And there's a lot to say here, so um, I'll throw it over to you, though. <laughs> well, I, when you're talking about model, I mean, I just loved Yvonne Strahovski in this episode. I thought she was great. There was, you know, And the way that the whole episode is sort of centered, it, it takes him from the bar hitting on the waitress unsuccessfully to the bar hitting on not hitting on the waitress but the waitress taking interest in him so it's like and, and just like the performance from him in that last moment with that ridiculous bandage on his nose just the right like size and shape to to just be ridiculous and he's got this like sort of dumb hazy look on his eyes because of all everything he's been through i mean 
Louis C.K. is obviously we think he's great, but he's come such a long way as a performer since the beginning of the show and as a director as well. And the performance from Yvonne Serhovsky and the way that he uses her in the episode is just wonderful. Only somebody like Louis C.K. would be so anxiety ridden that the process of trying to hit on somebody would become less about like having to build up that courage and more about placing that burden on the other person to have to deny Louis C.K. So that's multi-layered anxiety and self-deprecation, which I think he does so well. Um, I'm not sure which of these two episodes I preferred the most. I thought that the opening to uh, to back with the garbage men was superb. Like was that great? <laughs> he's, he's so good at manifesting those kinds of ideas and and really funny and true to life ways. I think and that's. <laughs> Even after he's left the room, they're just jumping on his bed, which was a great touch. Destroying, destroying his room. Because he's, they're destroying his room in the way that his morning has now been destroyed because he could not sleep in. That's how I take it. But yeah, he, he captures a, a feeling and, and an experience in such a wonderful way. And like you said, magical realism, that's, that's what that is. That's capturing the feeling of having garbage men outside your house waking you up what it feels like they're doing in the morning. And it's just, it's such a, such a deft sequence. And the most interesting part or the most interesting line from either of these two episodes for me was when Blake is talking to him in bed and is asking about comedy and, and he doesn't remember what makes him laugh anymore, which I think is something that ought to be looked at more in the season as it progresses, because that's, that's a really fascinating concept, I think, for somebody whose job it is to find out what makes other people laugh. We rarely see Louis C.K., uh, or at least the fictional version of him in this show, laugh. And I think that, that there's something definitely to explore there, which I imagine he will. Yeah, well, there's, I've seen the next two, and they're, they're very good. We'll talk about them next week. Uh, but yeah, I also thought there was a lot to really enjoy in this uh, in this premiere. There's There's a sequence next week that... It was tense. All, all I'll say is that it is tense, and we will talk about it next week. Um, but I liked what we got with the stand-up comedians at the poker game. I thought that was great. I liked the uh, the doctor and the the um, the, the old lady uh, getting the cab for him. I mean, just the way that all of that sort of episode, the episodes in the course of a day for for Louis C.K. in the premiere. I thought that was all just really wonderful. And, and I guess because I think people might watch Louis. Uh, who who don't watch a lot of television, who don't, who aren't um, comedy nerds, and they might they might just be like, okay, I'm just I'm not laughing that much. It's that if I'm not laughing that much, it means it's not a good comedy. And the thing, the reason I think that we love Louis so much is that there is nothing else like it anywhere on television. Yeah, I've talked to my dad about this, and he he enjoys, I think, Lucky Louie more than the episodes of Louie that I've shown him, and for those reasons, because he ends up laughing more. But you're right, like, in terms of having to watch a bunch of TV and enjoying TV as, a, as an art form and as a medium, just how original this is in terms of form, I think, is what elevates it so highly. It's, it's more than just collections of vignettes and kind of transposing the short story format onto the screen. There's just the perfect blend of comedy and drama that I think something like Girls often aspires to and does really well most of the time. But Louis is even more capable of going to either extreme, like absolutely making me laugh out loud, 
or making me feel just pangs and pangs of sadness for whatever he's experiencing. So, oh, I like, I think Mad Men is probably the best show I've ever seen of all time, including like The Sopranos and The Wire, but Louis actually is in that conversation. And I know oftentimes we think of the prestige dramas as just being the sole members of those categories, and no, like this, this is truly a special series, and I'm very glad that it's back. Yeah. And it's only going to be back for seven weeks because we're uh, we're burning through it, two episodes a week. Well, uh, in, in the least climactic uh, question ever, what wins your week in comedy? Not Louis, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine these, these next few weeks not being Louis, so I'll say Louis, but with a runner-up. Um, I'll give it to the review season finale. Yeah, so I, I again, the... Just assume, listeners, that it is going to be, we'll say it, but it's going to be Louis, probably, for the next uh, seven weeks. So Louis clearly wins, and then after that, yeah, I'll give, um, yeah, I'll go with review with an honorable mention as well to Adventure Time. I did really like Adventure Time this week. So that wraps up our week in comedy. We'll come back uh, next with our week in reality and genre. Forgive. I should have known that this would be the ending to the story we begun. I'm sorry. No. This week in reality, I uh, just wanted to touch on the Amazing Race All-Stars bull down because my team is out. The Cowboys are out. And uh, as soon as they got U-turned, it was clearly it was all in for them. And that was that's too bad. I really enjoyed them on the show. Uh, and I, their attitude has just been wonderful. I had to pick a new team for the pool now. And either I can pick Dave and Connor, who everybody else has already picked, and who... Let's just be honest. They're being little bitches about having been U-turned. They're just, come on. It's, guys, it's, it's the amazing. Look at how Leo and Jamal are handling having been U-turned three times. Are they better about it? No, because they realize it's the amazing race. Um, so you have uh, Dave and Condor, who other people have already picked. You have the Afghanimals. You have the Country Girls, who not only do they not deserve to win, though they've done pretty well, uh, but they're really obnoxious in certain elements of their gendering of themselves. And then you have Rachel who, who spends half this episode going, guys, you don't have to be so mean. I'm a girl. You don't have to hit me so hard. I'm a girl. It's like, wow, you're making me just, you're making me so angry on behalf of my gender. So thanks for that, Rachel. <laughs> oh God. I want to like her so much more this season. Cause she has really matured since she was last on the, the show, but I just, I can't, I can't, root for her. So I'm going with the Afghanimals as my team that I'm hoping win. And it feels sort of wrong uh, because I kind of hate, I hated them last year and uh, I've been, I'm not as interested. Uh, I'm not as big a fan of them this year either, but you know, one of them, I don't remember which one, one of the two guys really likes Spartacus. So clearly has good taste in television and uh, of the people who are left, I, I'm, I'm rooting for the Afghanimals now. So there's a lot of stuff I liked. The, the running of the bulls this week was hilarious and awesome. And, of course, Barbara of Seville. Of course, I enjoyed that. I like the singer singing uh, Lago Afatotum from the opening of, very famous opening of Barbara of Seville as well. He got a little Figaro in there, too. 
Uh, so, so you know, there's there's a lot in this episode that I enjoyed, even if even if my my guys, the Cowboys, did get eliminated. So, uh, that's what's going on with the Amazing Race. Now, our week in genre, we're going to kick things off with Game of Thrones, first of his name, and of course, the Sound on Site Game of Thrones podcast is already out in your feed. You can listen to me talk about it for about an hour with uh, Ricky D, our general editor at Sound on Site, as well as uh, Randy Dankovich, one of our our critics over there. Uh, what did you think of this episode of Game of Thrones? I thought that if I ever get around to finishing the TV series I'm writing, I want Michelle McLaren to direct every single episode. She's fantastic. She's the and best. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So like a scene like Locke bumping that lantern and kind of lingering on it as he moves closer to the hut, that was just a really stunning shot, I thought. Um, in terms of the episode overall, I don't know. I I know we got certain things coming up. I'm very much looking forward to that. But just given that this was the third book and specifically the back half of it, I had expected to like this season the most. And I think five episodes in, season three is still my favorite season of the show so far. And I think I liked it more at that point than I am right now. I mean, it's still the same problems that Game of Thrones usually has for me, which is that it is very much a check-in show. Um, And I guess we haven't really gotten to the most interesting parts yet, which, you know, that's fine, but it's not been as as impressive as it was last year for me. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Um, I need to ponder on it because whenever people talk about the best season of game of thrones or favorite season of game of thrones that kind of stuff with each season there's been at least one element that just hasn't worked that has really been a weakness and so when people were talking um about uh about season one being the best season there's there's so much sex position that's just absolutely gratuitous there's a lot you know they were figuring themselves out still in season one then season two and much of season three, you have Danny being useless and uh, really just unf- not working very well. Season- I could just hear the collective groans of people when she says, I will not sail for Westeros. So, yeah. yeah. Season uh, three also has Jon Snow. I mean, it has Grit being awesome, but Jon Snow really was a problem for me. It, the, that performance did not work for me in season three. It's gotten a lot better in season four. So, like, every season for me just has an element that I'm leery on and that I'm less connected to. Uh, and so I, I, I think I need to see how the second half of the season pays off before I can rank. I also think it would be handy because I've read the books and because we record the podcast every week, It at a certain point it starts kind of blurring together for me. What happened when, in which season, what stuff did they, is it, am I remembering from the books, which stuff am I remembering from the from the TV show? I mean, I would say season three is the best, but don't forget season three had had Theon being randomly tortured all through. I mean, because each of these seasons has had an element that has worked substantially less than the stuff around it. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. It's a very lengthy way of saying I'm not sure. Yeah, and the other seasons had storylines, I think, that really stood out in a positive light. And I think that this one might have fewer of them as of right now, which might, might be why I'm experiencing that. Um, but to qualify that, you know, th- that's fine. You know, this is one of the better genre shows on TV still, uh, despite all of its faults that are kind of built into its structure. It's still very good and it, more so, obviously way more so than something like The Walking Dead. I, I can appreciate and understand the popularity that it has. 
Well, let's move on to our next show. Uh, talk about appreciating the popularity. Supernatural Bloodlines. This is the backdoor pilot for the Supernatural spinoff that the CW wants to do. I don't remember right now uh, if they have already picked it up or if they're just commissioning another pilot. But this was terrible. It was really not good, guys. So here's... Did you watch this one, Sean? I did, and this is my first Supernatural episode ever, oh, actually. Do not <laughs> judge the show by this episode it's because it's this cross between supernatural which is the two brothers basically the show is the two brothers and and what like the oc no not the oc because the oc is too creative and fun uh the the oh gosh maybe gossip girl or definitely like the originals it's it's like you're in chicago so it has to be a mob story and it has to be monster mobs even though it makes no fucking sense and everybody you have the 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 lead character is uh african-american but everybody else is really really white and of course the lead is the one poor guy and all the rich people are are the white people and oh my god and they all look exactly the same they all look cw similar oh my god that star-crossed love of course secrets betrayals and could they have made a more cookie cutter paint by number supernatural spinoff? Uh, given that I don't really know much about supernatural. Sorry, just 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 spinoff. <laughs> yeah, this was very cookie cutter, and I don't really get a sense of the motivation behind the main character at all. I mean, obviously the girlfriend thing happens, and that's that's a lot of why he decides to do some of the things that he does. But it's also a d direct lift from the supernatural pilot. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. In it, it, it's not a direct lift, a ninety-eight percent lift. That's a similar thing happens in a different way in the supernatural pilot, which is what sparks one of our lead characters to go off on the road with his brother, and down to the the absent father, but absent but heroic father, and now now he's gonna try to find him. Yeah, that's also in the uh, supernatural pilot. It's like, ah. Hey, uh, the interesting part for me was seeing two of uh, Rory's boyfriends on TV in one night from Gilmore Girls. So uh, the guy who plays Sam is uh, Dean from that. Yep. But then his his brother in this is named Dean. And then uh, and the good wife Alicia's mother's boyfriend is named Logan, but the guy who plays Logan is also part of the show. So a lot of cosmic coincidences there, which was more entertaining than the Supernatural episode. Yeah, so watch the Supernatural pilot. That's my make Sean watch. Watch the Supernatural pilot and see how they do certain uh, the these same elements in a much more effective way. There, it, there's some clunky dialogue, the very piloty dialogue, but this this the direction, the cinematography of, of that Supernatural pilot is so much better than anything we get here. Oh my God, yes! And more monsters is not just better. That's not how it works, TV writers. What I've heard is that, like, what, the first few seasons of Supernatural are actually, like, very good. I've just not got around to it because there's, like, what, almost 200 episodes now? There's a lot of them. No. The first season is, like, solid. It gets better. Second season. But around somewhere in the middle of the second or third season, you realize there's been an underlying mythology and, like, there's been this other stuff going on this whole time that you didn't even realize. But when you look back on it, it's like, oh, it's so clear. It's, like, it all clicks in in this wonderful way. And by the time you get to the fourth or fifth season, almost every episode is really good. Uh, to great. There's some really great episodes of season five of Supernatural. And then, you know, the creator had a five season arc and left after the fifth season. And now we're on season nine. So it's been ups and downs since then. But TV happens, you know. TV happens. Oh, God. Okay, that's too much time spent on the Supernatural <laughs> spinoff. Let's talk Vikings, the finale, The Lord's Prayer. This was the first episode I've seen of Vikings since 
random snippets that while my dad was watching it or the pilot. So I was a bit lost, but uh, there was some, there was some good fight scenes and stuff. Uh, this I wasn't able to connect with it very much, obviously because I haven't been watching the show. How did this uh, finale work for you as somebody who has been watching it? Uh, very much it's a shame, I think, that this was the one that we tuned in for because it's not really representative of what the season has been doing. So the whole Floki and Horik scheming against Ragnar had been introduced a few episodes ago, but it's not been one of the main focuses of the season. And a lot of the strengths have come from their trips out to, to Wessex and dealing with King Egbert and seeing how Athelstan has to kind of go back and forth between his allegiances to, to England and to the Vikings. So, I, I don't know, I was relatively disappointed, which shouldn't color my opinion of the season as a whole. Uh, and at least it it provides some things to really look forward to that they didn't decide to kind of settle that part of the story and kill a bunch of characters there. Um, so they'll be coming back. I'm looking forward to Linus Roche's as Eckbert coming back, but the stakes just didn't like feel there to me in this episode, which was a shame, but at the very least, very well directed, very well shot. I thought that a lot of, a couple of the scenes were very beautiful. The Horik's death scene, you know, Donald Logue's done a great job in a, in a relatively limited role, so I, I was at least happy with that. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that about the stakes, because even as someone just tuning in for this episode, I, I did not believe that that, that the, this grand scheme was going to come together. I was like, really, Donald Logue? You think, you, do you know what show you're on? Because I know what show you're on, and I know you're clearly then going to fail. Uh, so, so yeah, I didn't believe the threat, the central threat, and that's without having you know, seasons of build-up of the main character to, to go off of. But then again, that also means I didn't have a season of Donald Logue being awesome to go off of either. I, I always really appreciate him. I'm looking forward to that trailer for Gotham, man. There's some stuff that I'm going to hate about that show, it seems. I, I look forward to being wrong, hopefully. But uh, the casting of, of Donald Logue and Ben McKenzie as our two leads is, is certainly not one of them. So excited about that. Man, yeah, the OC is such a big part of my life. So I, anything that Ben McKenzie does, and thank God he was on South, Southland because that's a great credit to have, um, but very much looking forward to that. Yeah, let's talk about our last show this week in, in genre, and that's Orphan Black mingling its own nature with it. We had uh, the introduction of Cal, we had the introduction of Jennifer, we had the opening night of Allison's show. Uh, where, where do you want to start this week? Let's start with Cal. Because I thought that that was a, a solid addition where it, it kind of didn't have to be um, for it to work. So, I don't know. It, there seems to be discrepancies, noticeable ones for me, in terms of who's directing or, or running each episode. Because I thought I thought that there were like several sequences in this episode that got the the scoring and the direction down so perfectly. Like, it, it felt very heightened, like a very almost prestige drama type thing um, amid all the other genre elements that were really working for it. So I think this is actually one of my favorite episodes of Orphan Black to date for those reasons. And also because, you know, Sarah hasn't really had a legitimate love interest. Not that she's needed one, but to introduce Cal like this as Kira's father and for that relationship to kind of already be there because of the history? Even though it's been eight years. Yeah. But but you you buy it. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is that what you thought as well? Yeah. No, I think uh, I've seen the next two as well. Uh, so I've seen a lot more. Uh, Cal sticks around for the ne- the next two. Uh, this is mo- as spoilery as I'll get there. But uh, I think he works really great. And I think absolutely like you said, it feels like she hasn't had a love interest until you remember that she's had two. But Michael Weisman just works way better with Tatiana Maslany than either Paul or junkie drug dealer boyfriend from the beginning of the show. Uh, so so the, the chemistry and rapport between those two actors is way more interesting, way more believable. I am already very glad to have Michael Weisman on the show. I think, uh, I, I, of course, I really like him on um, Treme. I really liked him on the little bits I saw of him on, on Nashville. I, I was glad to see him show up on Game of Thrones, but of those different shows, the one that by far he's added the most to by showing up in so far is Orphan Black. Yeah, I I still am not really interested in what's going on with Helena right now, and that was okay in this episode because I thought everything else surrounding that was good. Um, so maybe you can even like explain that because it's not just like I'm not invested. It's also like some of it I don't really understand what's okay. happening. Shoot, um, hit me. Well, like... What's going on? Well, I just think I can't. I don't want to accidentally say something yeah. that's happening next week. Um, so, so Helena spent Helena spends most of the episode on a bed. We don't really get that much with her in this episode. Um, we're gonna get a lot more with her in the coming weeks, and it's pretty great, is what I'll say. So, I'll, I'll this, take your word for it. Yeah, this one is it's kind of confusing, and it's yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not very enthused with how that chunk of the show is going with i'm not interested i i had this moment of oh maybe they're going somewhere interesting when they kill us Hamas, and i would say at this point no i don't think they are but it's different at least and i am now at episode five by the end of episode five i'm very glad that uh helena is back and i think also tadia manzlani that's that's one of the performances that i particularly enjoy from her i don't know how much i'm like the first time i've had any questions about her accent work has been with rachel but, uh, you know, and, and so Rachel is still somewhat of a question mark for me as to how I feel about that character. But uh, I do really, you know, she seems like she's having a lot of fun as, as Helena. So I'm, I'm glad that, or Helena, I'm glad that, uh, yeah, I guess the way, all I can say is it's going get to get better and more, and more interesting next week. Good. I will also say that the young actress who plays Kira is fantastic. Yeah. Whether it's just that really vacant expression that she's able to convey or I don't know the the sense of understanding that somebody like her ought not to have in her position which she does has been really good and also Felix's goodbye scene and this was one of the better moments for me and I thought that, that Jordan really executed that well yeah the heart of the show for me is Felix it's it's Jordan Gavaris and you know Tatiana Maslany is playing all these different characters she's such a great performer but Again, for me, this show comes down to to Felix even more than it does more than it does Sarah, more than it does Allison, more than it does anyone else. And so, his I, I love that he just reads her the riot act, and he's just uh, he's done with Sarah's shit for right now. When he realizes that she has known Kira's father this whole time and has just hasn't shared that with him, and and this notion that she needs the father to be there rather than relying on on Felix, you know the all that sense of betrayal and frustration, but also I'll, I've always knew that this is who you are and sort of you know, like his anger at himself, you know, I, just the handling of that, that has been great. I love that he cares about, you know, he realizes just how messed up 
um, Allison is right now and that he wants to try to help her as well. I mean, I really think a lot of the show comes down to Felix. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So I've been very much impressed by that part of it. Yeah. The only other thing I'll mention is that uh, Blood Ties is the musical that Allison is in, and that is an actual... Uh, I want to say Fringe Fest, uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, but it might be a different Fringe Fest uh, musical that the creators saw and were like, yoink, let's have Allison be in that. So that that's, you know, I've, I've gotten some enjoyment out of that. Um, but but no, I, I've, I've, I'm enjoying the season. So any other thoughts on Orphan Black? Or if not, what wins your week in genre? My only other thought on Orphan Black is it's always disappointing when we don't see Felix's ass. So what are you going to do? Cheers. <laughs> uh, when we, my weekend genre. All right, so we we got the perpetual Louis butt in comedy. It's, it's definitely going to be Hannibal, but I'll give the honorable mention to Orphan Black. Yeah, and I will as well. Uh, again, if for those who are wondering where our Hannibal talk is, it's in our Hannibal podcast. So check out your Televerse feed or go to Sound and Sight and listen to us talk. This week we talked with David Bax about Bellship Pretension. Uh, lots of great stuff about uh, about Hannibal this week. But let's uh, that wraps up our week in genre. So now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. In drama, we will kick things off with uh, Make Sean Watch Drop Dead Diva before talking 24, Elementary, The Americans, Fargo, The Good Wife, and Mad Men. And there's way too many shows to talk about in this span of time, so we're going to try to keep it brief. Uh, Sean, Drop Dead Diva. Okay, definitely fits drama. So much drama, 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 drama. There's a line here that is, um, you know, Sister Sally Ann can say aloha to Hawaii because we're taking this nun to court. <laughs> it doesn't get much more dramatic than that. Yeah, this this character needs a bone marrow transplant and so many things go wrong with it. The first of which is that the nun who said that she was going to do it uh, couldn't because she got pregnant with one of the people from her parish. So that defines drama. This is the first episode of Drop That Diva that I've seen. I decided to, to drop in on that kind damn i wish i had thought of a better way to word that um <laughs> it was it was fine very soap operatic and i don't imagine that it's something that i would watch a full season of but uh fine to check in on it and the, the premise being that a, a person who was once very attractive died and was uh, i guess her soul or whatever it was was transplanted into another character so that's the whole thing that's going on there. Interesting, but uh, I don't know. Okay. Not for me. Not for you. 24 Live Another Day had its premiere. Uh, I've seen the first two. You've seen the first one. Uh, what did you think? Were, are you a fan of 24? And uh, and how did this episode work for you? I've only seen the first two seasons of 24, um, but relatively recently, within the past year or so, I think. And 
this was fine. It felt very much like what I had seen of 24, although I would say that the its style, so a lot of this split screen and stuff like that, feels dated, which might be a problem for me. I'm not sure. I'll have to see some more episodes, um, and, and maybe I'll just get back into the groove of it. But right now, it, it does feel like an older show. That's interesting. See, you say dated, I say familiar, and I was happy to, to see it. I've seen uh, several seasons of 24, not all of it. I don't remember how many, at least four, maybe five. Uh, but this, and I watched this first episode and was immediately sort of energized and ready to watch the next one. And then I got to the end, it was like, yeah, if they had episode three, I'm sure I would just like keep going and going and going. This feels to me like a show that would really benefit from the Netflix treatment of how I could, I could see myself spending a day just burning through one after the the next after the next and having the momentum and the energy of a given episode propel me into watching the next one. But now that I've taken, you know, most of a week off, because uh, I did watch this, I watched this earlier last week. Now that I've taken several days off of watching it, I don't know that I will make the time to tune back in next week to watch, you know, day nine, hour three. Uh, so, so, you know, how, how well it's going to, work for 24 fans i would say i mean it feels very familiar it feels it feels like 24 jack bauer feels like jack bauer and that's really the the heart of the show i think Kiefer sutherland still is he's really good in this role um how everything else fits around that i mean if you like 24 you're gonna like it and if you don't like 24 you're not gonna like it that's probably the best way to describe it yeah jack bauer is definitely jack bauer they treat him like that mythological figure. I don't think he speaks a line of dialogue until well over halfway through the episode, which is really interesting. Um, but for 24 fans, I think that this will work. Yeah, and uh, Avon Strahovski is in, is in the episode. Of course, she has her Louis episode and the start of 24. It seems like she's going to be a, a significant figure this season in that. So I enjoyed that those are both on the same night. They're premiered the same night. Um, yeah, are you going to tune back in? Um, yeah, but that's because I, I have to. Once you've started? Feel, yeah, I, I can't stop. So that's a problem that I'll need to work out in my life for the next few years. <laughs> uh, next up is Elementary Painted Black, which continues. Uh, it was directed by Lucy Liu, but it it's the Watson is Kidnapped episode, and it ends with uh, a reveal that those of us familiar with the source material will not be hugely surprised by, but it definitely takes uh, – it is a reveal and takes that's that relationship of Holmes and Moriarty to a, a different kind of place. Uh, what did you think of this episode? It was fun seeing the Holmes brothers team up and to have Mycroft kind of slot into that position that Joan is usually in and to have Sherlock criticize him for that because he's not Joan. Uh, I thought Lucy Liu did a great job in terms of the directing, uh, especially that that shot where they, they're visiting the house, the, the guy's not there, and it kind of pulls back as Sherlock's walking through the, the I guess it's a field, to uncover the, the buried body. I thought that that worked very well. Um, kind of just... A solid average episode of Elementary, nothing particularly noteworthy. We, we got the reveal, and obviously that will be dealt with in the next couple episodes, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, but good. A good Elementary. Okay. How about the Americans, Yusuf? Again, another solid one, and obviously the standard, I think, for the Americans is much higher than, than Elementary and, and most dramas, actually. Um, the I know it's a, a thing that's done often, which is to cut between scenes of death and scenes of sex. But I thought that this one in particular worked very well. And that was kind of the highlight for me um, when we see Elizabeth 
killed the guy in the pool, and then Annalise being being used in that scene. So that definitely works. I I'm surprised that I'm still on board with the page stuff. It's mostly because they're handling the parenting side of that well. Uh, I think that, that story could be much less interesting, but to see how Philip and Elizabeth reacts to her differently is what's making that work. When you talk about that uh, cross-cutting with Annalise and uh, and Elizabeth, the reason that's so effective for me is that it's these are the choices for mission that night. Either she goes and kills the guy in the pool or she goes and sleeps with the guy at the hotel. And so I, I like, you know, and then and basically Philip decided which one she was going to do. Uh, talked her into doing the one over the other that she was planning on and but that you know that's very much you know it's presenting these are the wonderful options in their lives based on you know the this career they've chosen for themselves of trying to take down the americans um but uh yeah i i agree it was very effective and i like this continued uh exploration of especially philip but also elizabeth's mental state and how they're dealing with uh their missions and that things have gotten a lot harder in season two for them than they were in season one. They're killing a lot more innocent bystanders this year, and that's really weighing on them. So where this goes next, you know, I look forward to, and I absolutely agree with you that this uh, page discovers religion thing shouldn't work. We've seen it not work on so many other shows, uh, but it does, it works here. And uh, that's down to performance. It's down to writing. It's down to direction. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing what happens in the next few weeks. They sent out the... I have a screener for the next episode, but the DVD's busted. It doesn't work. Uh, oh, no. I How know. Terrible. I know. Uh, critic problems, right? Uh, but yeah. that tells me that they wanted people to be seeing the next episode and reviewing it. So I'm, I got my fingers crossed that the episode uh, coming this week is going to be another particularly interesting one. So we'll... uh, the, Gen- the Jennings is go to Fargo is what it's going to be. Yeah, that sounds yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that, that seems like that would make sense. Speaking of, Fargo the Muddy Road, uh, what did you think of, of this episode? I really love that security cam, cold open. Oh, God, yes. I don't know if it was a problem on my TV, but it was really, like, low volume for me, and so it was kind of, like, more quiet and uh, creepy of an opening than it already was, but that worked fantastic. That was probably the highlight, which is unfortunate that it didn't hit that peak later in the episode, but... Fargo's been very solid. Obviously, a lot of the same things we're probably going to be saying. Billy Bob Thornton is absolutely great in this role. Um, all of the mischief that he gets up to, so manipulating this this hostage situation to get a bunch more money, I think, is working. Um, and just to see Martin Freeman sweat over a bunch of things is great. And to see him interact with Adam Goldberg and, and the other uh, the other character in that was was very funny. I thought it was interesting that they cut back to the victim from the pilot's point of view in this episode. It's the first time we've seen them play with time in that way. Do you think this is something that we might see more of, or why why do you think they chose to do that? I don't know why now, because it doesn't seem like that's going to be a huge plot point. The only reason that it's used here is that Solverson goes there to investigate that, and that eventually leads step-by-step to where she ends up at the end of the episode, but... Just in terms of style, I think that that was maybe why it was incorporated, and that's why it works. I also loved the music in that opening, too. Like, sort of the jazzy scoring there was was really nice. Yeah. I'll also say that if I never have to hear another story about baby spiders popping out of somebody's neck, 
then yeah. I'll be okay. That was a nice shift on that that dinner scene from the movie. I like that they did it in a different way. Uh, yeah, that was that was very creepy, very effective, memorable. Yes, I watched this like four weeks ago, and I as soon as you say baby spiders, ugh, ugh. very effective. Okay, let's talk about the Good Wife and the Deep Web and how much I'm loving Finn Polmar right now. Yes, because I have zero context right now. I only watched this episode. So. Oh, okay, so Finn is the the guy who is um, running for state's attorney. Okay. He's, he's talking with Alicia and talking with Eli Gold this week. Because mm -hmm. you, so why don't? Where are you at with the series? What have you seen? What have you not seen? I watched the first season a few weeks ago, and I've been inundated with things, and so that's kind of where I'm at. But I, I plan to plow through the rest of it, or at least you know this season and last season before this one wraps up. Okay. So what did you take away from this episode then? It must be jarring um, having seen the first season and then this. Yes. Uh, the, I, of course, I got spoiled on the, the big thing that happened with Will a few weeks ago, and it's it's interesting that they're still looking at the effects of that, and I thought that, obviously, that, that's going to underpin most of the rest of the season, I would imagine, appropriately so. I think it might be easy for that to become annoying in a different show, but they're handling it well, I thought. Um, I liked the, the topical... Topicality, topicalness, topicality <laughs> of uh, the the Silk Road Bitcoin thing. So that that worked as kind of the the central plot of the episode for me. But uh, yeah, no, this was this was perfectly fine. I thought. And uh, if you like, if you enjoy the topicality of of Silk Road, that's a thing that the show does very well and consistently. So you'll there'll be stuff without it feeling like ripped from the headlines. Kind of, uh, you know, old school Law and Order. Uh, I think you'll enjoy that about the show when you eventually catch up with it. Uh, other things about this episode, I, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed our interaction with Alicia and Nestor Carbonell's character. I thought that was nice and did a good job of um, showing us where she's at. But also, she made this declaration about the status of her and her husband's relationship, what it was going to mean and be, and we've not really had to think about the realities of that and uh, for her specifically and also based just on how our society treats uh, male infidelity and female infidelity right now uh, in our culture. So, so her being out at the bar just for lunch with this guy and then get but getting stink, the stink guy from other lawyers in the bar who, who know her and know that she's married uh in a way that would not happen to Peter if he were just out for a you know a business or just a social lunch, I think that was an interesting thing for them to to, to layer on, and um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I like to start her chanting. I like what we got with her. I like seeing this side to Alicia where she really does just want her mom, uh, and which is not what we've seen from her in the last couple of weeks dealing with Will. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was another solid episode. I really am. This is the best season of the show so far, uh, and that's that's a rare thing in season five. Was that Dom from Looking, who was the mother's boyfriend? You know what? I don't remember. I There's... saw Marie Bartlett's name pop up in the credits, and I think that that was the one that I pegged him as, but I couldn't be sure. It was such a brief, uh, brief yeah. cameo, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll see if, if, uh, if he pops back up. Uh, but let's move on to Mad Men uh, Monolith. This week, we get words of wisdom from Teddy Rumson. Freddie Rumson, yeah. Freddie Rumson. I see, I always think Teddy Ruxpin. Every yeah. time, <laughs> with that, with that character. I hope I'm not the only one. <laughs> Probably not, no. 
uh, it's great to have a, a Don Roger episode because that was kind of a big reason why the first couple seasons of Bad Men worked, or at least that was something that they, that relationship um, was central to, to Mad Men overall. And obviously the universe has expanded a bunch, so we rarely get those. And so it's nice to have one here. Really interesting journeys for both of them. Very poignant in different ways. Um, obviously where Don ends up at the end of the episode is great, but I especially like Roger's attempts to get Margaret to understand where he and, and Mona are coming from. And Mona probably doesn't go about it the right way. She does make an appeal, you know, as a mom, which is good, but is also kind of denigrating as well. And at least Roger, like, goes the full way. So I don't know, like, what you thought about his reaction the morning after, where he's he's tried his damnedest and it's not working, and then he gets so frustrated that he just tries to, to force her out. Um, I mean, he clearly knows. I don't want to say knows what's best for her, but he has more experience, and so he, he sees it from a a veteran perspective, which I think would probably be why we sympathize with him. But, but what did you think about that interaction? I thought it worked really well, and I thought it made sense for Roger. And also, of course, we know that he understands where she's coming from a lot more than she thinks he does because we've seen him on acid. We've seen him, you know, have, you know, being in these uh, polyamorous relationships uh, over the course of the season. And so we know that he understands the allure of some of this uh, in a way that Marigold doesn't understand. And, you know, her, her interactions with him when she's basically accusing him of being an absentee father who lived with, who lived in the same home, but just was never home. I think that's a significant moment for him. Like it should be. Uh, but you have a character saying, uh, I look how messed up I am because you were never around. I'm going to make sure I'm not there for my kid either. You know, it's like, obviously the show has an opinion on who's right. And I agree with them that Roger's right in that, in that scene, even if he goes about trying to take her home in the wrong way. Um, but mostly I'm going to be interested to see if this interaction affects how he deals with his family moving forward. If he tries to make himself much more present in his grandson's life and also in his son's life, uh, with, yeah. with Joan too. Uh, that's what more what I'm hoping for. That's exactly where I think Matthew Weiner's going with that because that's been a thing that's underpinned a lot of Mad Men is the Roger Joan relationship. And this seems like the right platform to talk about that next in terms of Roger's story. Um, the Don stuff really works for me. I completely understand why he does what he does. He's being treated like relative crap. And it's not just Peggy, but also Bert not allowing him to bring in some new business. And so he goes and gets wasted during the day, which is not uncommon for Don. But uh, it's it's really important this time around. And I'm glad that we got Freddie being the voice of reason. But also during his drunken stupor, I... I really enjoyed, despite it being so out of place, him confronting Lloyd, the, the guy from the the place that's installing the IBM, and just accusing him of being the devil, you know? Like, that was that was harsh and interesting, and maybe says something about Don's own, Don's own inner demons that he has to deal with. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I like... Yeah, I like that he responds so immaturely because that makes sense to the character and it's what we've seen. And it's the whole, you know, it's something that for me with Mad Men, I'll believe that Don is changed when, you know, when the show's over and he actually has changed and not just relapsed. 
So this week, at the end of last week, everyone's like, see, look, he really has changed. This week he relapses and does the exact same stupid thing that he he was, has done so many times before. Only at the end of the episode, he's theoretically learned his lesson and we won't be seeing more of that moving forward. And so I like that they do let him have the natural, immature response and then sort of have have Freddy there to talk sense into him and, you know, help him. Like, you clearly care about this or else you wouldn't be trying to stay there. So, you know, and I like that they get him on his path, but they let him have that moment of of self-centeredness. And, you know, in an episode that also features a lot of that from from uh, Marigold. Yeah, and, and Peggy, who just revels in kind of dragging Dawn through the mud, which fits in line with what we've seen of Peggy this season. She's been very kind of self-absorbed and she's bitter yeah which which makes sense yeah it was a great uh line to end on this is twice now that i think that the final line has been you know not subtle in any way but very poignant so i'll have your tags uh by lunch and then also a few episodes back when when sally says happy valentine's day i love you um those have been very solid punctuations for those episodes yeah well what wins your week in drama again we're going to do another qualification here madman but i'll give the runner up to i guess i'll give it to the good wife ah okay um hmm yeah this is such a consistent even field for me uh i'm gonna give some some love uh you know what i'm not gonna give some love to fargo because i'm gonna give some love to fargo <laughs> next week uh, I'll get I'll get some love to the Americans, and then with an on, uh, honorable mention to to Good Wife. Mad Men's been great as well, but if we always say the same things, it'll get boring. So I think the Americans also is, is really hitting it out of the park this season. So Bill win the weekend drama for me this week. A few show notes before we go to our informed opinion segment with Vlad talking about science and research on television. You can find a post up for this at uh, soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you're thinking about uh, the week's television. You can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at Sound Outside TV and the Televerse and leave us feedback there you can email us the televerse at gmail.com you can also like us or rate us and review us in itunes we have an m4a chaptered feed so let's just skip between each of the different shows if you want to avoid spoilers and we also have an mp3 feed we appreciate feedback in either or both locations uh you can also of course follow us on twitter i am at the televerse and you are at sean coletti and where else can our listeners uh, find you, Sean, by the way? I should mention, because I'm mostly at Sound Outside with a, with a touch of the AV Club. Where are you at? I'm entirely at the AV Club. No. Um, I am kind of split between Sound On Sight and TV Overmind in terms of weekly reviews. And, of course, like you mentioned, we do the Hannibal podcast for Sound On Sight. Well, so Sean, what is our question of the week this week? Okay. So since I woke up on Sunday morning, I've had a total of about – Five hours of sleep since then. We record on Tuesday morning, and uh, that's mostly been trying to catch up with a bunch of stuff. So I'm interested to hear from listeners, what is the most TV that you've watched within a 24-hour period? Oh, God. Because I want to say... <laughs> Maybe I don't want to... I don't want to say... TV or, or TV and film? Either or. Either or, but maybe specifically TV, if you can limit it to that. Yeah. I'm I'm creeping up Jane dangerously close on 20, I think, if not already there at some point in my life in the past year or two, which is ridiculous, but it happens. I've certainly, because I've, I've done the Lord of the Rings extended marathon a couple times. I've done uh, Harry Potter one through seven once in a row. That was an interesting day. Uh, but for TV, I certainly have had at least one day where I spent 
most of the day watching Doctor Who, uh, classic mm-hmm. Who, just kind of one to the next to the next to the next with like, you know, at least at least 10, 15 hours for, you know, in the course of, you know, a morning to an evening. So, yeah, it's kind of horrifying. <laughs> it is, but, you know, whatever. Let us know. And and what and what were you watching in your most memorable, you know, uh, marathon session? How about that? As Good well. question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm pretty sure I I could not stop Breaking Bad season three and four. Although I might have paused at some point in there. Mm-hmm. But that Excellent. might be it. Yeah. So horrify us with just how much, or I guess make us feel better because we're not alone. I, <laughs> I know we're not alone out there. Hopefully not. <laughs> Great question. Okay, so that's our question of the week, and hopefully we'll hear from you guys. For now, we'll take a break and listen to a little music and come back with Vlad to talk about science and research on television. with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsing, joined by my fantastic new co-host, Sean Coletti. And uh, this week, it's an episode ending in a zero, so that means it's time for another Informed Opinions. And this week, we'll be talking about depictions of science and research on television with a specific bent towards biology. We may get into some cloning. There might be some fun uh, things like that headed our way. And here to help us with that conversation is Vlad. Vlad, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Hello, Kate. So, Vlad, tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your experience in the topic of science? Yes, in science. My experience specifically is in uh, biology. So I have, I guess, a a Bachelor's of Science in Molecular and Cellular Biology from the University of Illinois. And currently I am finishing up my uh, uh, doctorate in developmental biology from the University of Chicago. See, I have no idea what any of that means besides living things. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, it's like specific aspects of living things. So, I, I mean... Molecular and cellular biology is, so cellular biology is, right, the study of cells, and molecular biology is basically the study of the proteins and DNA inside the cells and, you know, how, the, how all those mechanisms work. So, so what I'm hearing is that cellular biology studies cells and molecular biology studies molecules, and I feel like an idiot for not having made that obvious connection. Yes, it's, we're not trying to trick <laughs> anyone, you know. So how often does, does cellular and molecular, molecular biology come up? for you in, in TV or, or just uh, things that you identify from your experience? Oh, well, I mean, you, you see a lot of sort of standard molecular biology shows up a lot in the like crime procedural shows, right? People are like d- testing like DNA, which is sort of the common one. Uh, and there's uh, obviously in shows like, uh, you know, House, there's a lot of molecular biology, a lot of diagnostics tests uh, and, uh, you know, sort of histology where you're basically looking at how, like, cells are looking in the blood or in some specific tissue, right? You're stating them with uh, various chemicals that will uh, show you if a cell is in one state or another. So, like, you see biology, you know, kind of spread throughout. You know, it shows up also, like, in Star Trek, right? Their doctors do various biology-related things. Like, pretty much any time someone's trying to do some sort of, like, uh, medicine or 
you know, if you've got, like, if you're talking about, like, mutant powers, like in Heroes, right, yeah. someone will eventually start talking about biology and maybe, like, evolutionary biology. They'll be like, oh, we've mutated. We now have the power to fly because of our genes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing that I, that I was thinking of, actually, the other night because I saw a trailer... One of those movies that, and I know this is film, not television, but one of those uh, films that talks about how we need to untap the other 90% of our brain that we don't use, and how if we just uh, <laughs> tap into that other magical 90% of our brain, we can do magic with science yes. somehow. <laughs> yes, yes. That so that, sounds really simple. That's how it works, right? Yeah, exactly. You just do things that you're physically capable of, and then you become fantastic. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, you know. It'll be like Dune. We're just going to breed ourselves into, like, you know, to be a, like a perfect human being who can see the future. <laughs> Speaking about that, that, that is such a common theme for, for genre shows, at least, that, that uh, want, want to do that. So, like, we're seeing an increase with these different uh, – with the Marvel shows that are starting up. I would be surprised if we don't start seeing mutants pop up. We see evolution coming up on a show – and cloning and on a show like Orphan Black, are there particular shows with that, uh, you know, like how do you feel about that trend in uh, in genre fiction or that, that trope? Does it wind up, like, do you go with it or does it end up just being too annoying? Well, I mean, I think you just have, kind of have to go with it, right? I mean, like, generally it's, you know, it's all fine, right? Like, you're just, it's like a fantasy, you know? Like, when you're watching, like, Star Trek, no one's like, well, the physics of this doesn't make sense. How are the ships, you know, like, flying faster than light, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you just you just have to accept it, right? It's like a story. So I think the, the, the way I look at it is when these shows kind of start doing all these fantastical science things or biology things, is you, you should just assume that science is basically like magic in these worlds, right? Like, has no bearing on real reality, <laughs> you know? And, like, science is just, like, their particular kinds of, like, magical voodoo that, like, does whatever it needs to do because, you know, that's what it's there for. It's to create sort of the the premise of the show and the plot. The plutonium to, to get things... To get things moving along. Well, are there any shows or any uh, instances you can think of that where you're actually watching it and then you have to, you have to go, wait a second, actually that that does kind of work. I mean, some 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 people do it better than others. Usually, like like usually the the less like overt your theme is, you know, the the more plausible it is. You know, so you were saying like, well, we just want to like, you know, make a human clone, like. That hasn't been done yet in the actual life. But, I mean, we've made clones of other animals. You could see someone trying to botch through it. Um, but, like, you know, once you start sort of getting um, into, like, kind of really improbable things, you know, like, your limbs are now growing because I have the serum in my, you know, the syringe. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not really going to – probably going to work that way. <laughs> But but like I said, like I don't I, I try to avoid doing that. And the, the more successful the show is, the less they actually discuss the science, because usually like in, in a show like the, in, in, in all these shows, once they start trying to explain the science, it's sort of like trying to explain the magic in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're they're just they start sort of babbling, you know, like they're just they start grabbing phrases from like actual uh you know scientific terminology but they string them together in nonsensical ways you know so they're like these nouns are associated with biology (laughs) and we will put them in a sentence so they grammatically work but like if you actually know the meanings of the words 
like what they said makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And like you see this a lot. Like it'd be like, oh, his DNA has you know polymerized into like isomers. See, that sounds so official. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like usually, like the, the I, I I've always thought that shows where you're like since you're making up the science anyway. Like the more successful you are is if you just make up everything. Okay. You know, you're like, well, we're just gonna have warp technology. Like, what's warp? That's not like anything real. You're like, we're going to invent this term called tachyons, and we're going to make them responsible for everything. <laughs> you know, like, you just, like, make up your own stuff, and then it's all internally consistent. And, like, you can't sit there watching, and you're like, hey, you know, that's not a, how you use that word in real life. <laughs> well, and then often, like you said, so much of the time, if you're thinking about the science, usually the show is doing something wrong. Yeah, like, if, if, they, if they actually make you really question it, Mm-hmm. then you're, uh, I mean, certainly if, like, I think if you're definitely a professional, like, you know, and you deal with it, like, every day, the moment they start getting into the nitty-gritty of science, like, on a movie or a TV show, like, we just begin rolling our eyes because it kind of kind of gets silly, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. Well, what about uh, depictions of, like, the process or of, are, are there particular, like, characters or um, or personality types that you find to be, like, this character... It's supposed to be a scientist or a researcher, and they, they feel like they actually are that, regardless of what, you know, jiggery-pokery they're doing with their with their microscope. They actually feel like the right kind of person. Right. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, like, science, you, can, you have a wide variety of people that do science. I mean, probably, though, you know, like, the, the stereotype of, like, what researchers are, is probably one of, like, the more annoying things, aspects of looking at science in, in TV, right? Like, everyone's supposed to be some sort of, like, socially awkward, you know, like, set of nerds. Big Bang Theory? <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, I, I, I personally, like, find found Big Bang Theory incredibly grating to watch, because I was like, oh, God, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, you'll see it in other shows, like uh, Ted. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that show. Oh, Better Off Ted? Yes, Better Off Ted. But there yeah. they have, like, the research scientists that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're crazy corporations. And they're these kind of socially awkward nerds, right? I mean, I can see how it's just the novelty of ha- even having characters on TV who are physicists, who are biologists, who are researchers. Uh, like On a show like Big Bang Theory, at first, is really, you know, it's really appreciated or it's something that people could really identify with and enjoy. But after... After a while, um, when there's this notion that everyone who is, you know, who who enjoys science or who enjoys math or who enjoys, you know, research or, or these, you know, who's like, yay, charts has to be socially awkward would get pretty old. Yeah, like you're always like some sort of like, I don't know, misfit or something like, I'm, you know, you're like like the strange person. You're like an eccentric, <laughs> you know, where I was like, I mean, if you think about it, like most people who do it are not very eccentric. Some people who do it are maybe like the best people who do science are like really eccentric, you know, because they're like crazy geniuses. But like, you know, most scientists aren't actually crazy geniuses, right? They're not like smarter than your like, you know, really good lawyer or like whatever. It's just that we've chosen to get a sort of a different set of skills. Yeah, well, and also it helps that the ones, the, at least for me, the, the characters that stood out in my memory were all, all tended to be the the more. Uh colorful characters <laughs> well i mean those people just stand out like in a show right yeah. like they're more fun right yeah. like it's not 
And so I can't blame the shows for that. Like, it's not like these people are necessarily, like, not entertaining. But it's not like, you know, it's not, like, terribly realistic in many ways, right? Like, I don't know. At least it doesn't, to me, doesn't seem that way. Sean, who are the uh, who are the people that characters that immediately come to mind for you when you think science or or research on TV? Uh, we've we've talked about Orphan Black already. Yeah, I'm interested in kind of the portrayal of this, and I've talked to a lot of uh, people who identify with the Big Bang Theory culture, but criticize it for its inaccuracy. Um, I, I talked to a friend who felt that uh, Silicon Valley, which just premiered on HBO, was a much better depiction of that type of set of characters. Um, and there's also stuff aside from like Orphan Black, which does the, the cloning stuff. It, it's kind of everywhere in every pocket of TV. Even something like Archer is tackling cloning right now in a really funny and entertaining way. Uh, and then there's mutation stuff like the Tomorrow People. So it's all over the place. And because I don't really have a background in it, I can't really comment on the accuracy, but I just find that idea interesting in and of itself. We all like kind of bring our own specializations to the viewing experience. And so maybe you're a history buff and, and you're watching something for historical uh, accuracy. And that plays into, I guess, your perception and your evaluation of the show. And that's kind of something that I, I don't think about while watching. Um, and I don't know. I'm not sure if it's just if I run into a show that does talk a lot about something that I know quite a bit about or that I'm interested in, if that would affect it in some way, or if if something like that, if it's like accurate portrayals of how molecular biologists uh, speak, the vocabulary, or or the, I guess, the explanations of the, the medical processes, um, if that should kind of factor into, I, I guess, how you see the quality of the show. Well, I, I think a lot of it goes to the believability of the character and the world that they're setting up and the role that the character fits within it. So when you talk about, uh, you know, a show like, like Archer, I mean, that, that, that gives we with Krieger, we have one of the most entertaining mad scientists I can think of. And those are really the, the ones that first, spring to mind for me are the mad scientist archetype. So you have your Kriegers, you have your Dr. Uh, Walter Bishop on Fringe, you have uh, uh, Professor Farnsworth on, on Futurama. There's so, it's so reliable to be able to go to that kind of a character to spark a new a new story. Who, who are your favorite mad scientists, Vlad? Oh, oh, I mean, I think definitely, like, Professor Farnsworth has to be, like, near the top, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. I mean, he's got his collection of doomsday devices. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the thing longer. You can't forget the thing longer. No one can forget the thing longer. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like mad scientists. Yeah, the mad scientists that are that are sort of funny, you know. I guess the mad scientists who, you know, like are, like, you know, dangerous are a bit too, uh, I mean, they're entertaining, but I'm not sure, like, you know, you're kind of hoping for their downfall at some point. Mm-hmm. There's the other trope that comes to mind for me, actually. There's There are two more that I want to specifically mention, and then we'll get into some other others as well. But then you have uh, you have characters like the, the kid genius that does pop up quite a bit. You have your, your Jimmy Neutrons and your uh, Dexter of Dexter's Laboratory. 
a character I loved as a child. And then you, but then there's also a surprising number of sort of like action heroes that are that are that are nominally scientists, and you don't really see them doing science. Very, sorry, just saying doing science. Like Reed Richards. <laughs> yeah, well, or like you know, like uh, MacGyver is is like a physicist, isn't he? Or an engineer at the very least. Uh, I forget what his like actual like training is but i mean like macgyver doesn't do any science like mm -hmm. there's nothing like remotely sciencey about what macgyver does right like he makes things out of stuff that's about yeah like, he's closer to a mechanic than he is to like a scientist right i mean i think that's one of the the, the things that kind of blurs in people's minds like at least from my end right uh like i do research science and so like what what we what i do is like you know i study things that people don't know anything about you know, like, I don't make devices that have, like, practical everyday applications. And I think most people, when they think of science, they really think of technology. And they think of, you know, like, oh, he invented a car that goes fast. You know, or he, like, made of the first plane. Or, you know, look, you know, Edison is a scientist. You know, like, he makes light bulbs and movie cameras and, you know, phonographs. But, like, you know, science is about sort of, Right, like researching and understanding the natural world, not like necessarily applying it to make, you know, goods and services. Um, you know, so like Newton is a scientist, right? Like, what did he do? Like, he just explained, you know, gravity. Mm -hmm. But like, he didn't make anything out of it, right? He didn't make like a fortune making some sort of, you know, machine that he sells to people. But like, people like equate science with technology, and they, they're, they're, they're most like common scientists or things are basically like inventors uh, and people who sort of apply, you know, what you gain from research into making like real things. And so usually like the mad scientist is always this guy who crafts things as well, rather than just like trying to understand stuff, which is, I think one of kind of the, the thing that always, uh, that kind of gets lost in the modern portrayal of science. Like it's, it seems much more sort of, you know, like kind of this sort of utilitarian, you know, conception of of what science does. <laughs> well, and also it's just this uh, the sense that you can take you can take a, a a sort of an action kind of character, and you can explain uh, you can you can have them figure things out and explain it by oh they're a scientist, so that that means that they're smart, and that means that they can come up with solutions. Which is you see that I mean, like actually like Quantum Leap. Our main character is a scientist, but then he he gets into the situation from being a scientist. But he never, almost never uses science to get out of it. As much as I right. enjoy that show, or, or or Sam Carter on Stargate, one of the few female scientists that came to mind for me. There is this there is this trend of of it being more the the scientist, but that t uh, paired with like the tinkerer. I mean, I think this gets back to the idea, like you know how I told you, like science is sort of like the magic that makes these shows work. And I think it's sort of, it has this kind of idea, right? Like, the scientist is like Merlin, right? Like, he is like the wise old guy who can do all sorts of crazy things. Because he has, like, this hidden knowledge, mm -hmm. you know? And this hidden knowledge is science, right? It's not like his, like, I don't know, connection to, like, some mystical force. Or, you know, like, his understanding of, like, arcane rituals and runes. It's like, he knows, you know, atoms and DNA, and all these other things that you in the audience do not know anything about. And because he knows these hidden mysteries, he can do things that normal people can't to, like, alter reality 
and, you know, like, make things work when they shouldn't. And, like, so I, I think you see the, a lot of that. That's one of the tropes that uh, I think stands out to me and that I'm always kind of disappointed in when characters kind of reach an impasse in the story, maybe in a procedural or something, and, you know, they go approach Dr. XYZ, and it's like, hey, go go figure this out for us, and then the scientist comes back with the the correct or convenient answer, and we don't really get to see that process. And, Vlad, you mentioned earlier that a lot of the times when when the show starts talking in depth about some of these processes that it kind of just falls apart, and that might be the case and, and why that is a trope that uh, that we often get scientists who just have the capability of solving everything fairly quickly or, or conveniently. Um, but, but that's something I'd like to see more of, and I'm glad that a couple of shows like War for Black are going a little bit more in-depth into that now. Yeah, I mean, so in Orphan, in Orphan Black, they, they, they kind of go into it, but, like, I, I must say, like, I watched the show on Kate's recommendation, and it was very enjoyable. Um, but like when they, they when they got into these conversations, it was the um, that the scientist who was in charge of the neolutionists. Um, yes, and then the the clone that's a scientist. Kusima. Um, I forget these people's names. I apologize to the audience. Uh, but um, like they started like they were talking about things, but like again they they kind of did that sort of like what I call like techno babble. Like they were just kind of. You know, like, the, the overall concept, you know, like, is, is accessible and makes sense. But, like, when they start talking about, like, specific genes and stuff, like, they're just, I feel like they're just pulling random things out of, like, you know, you know, Wikipedia articles about, like, you're like, we need a gene that sounds awesome. Like, not this one. It's too hard to pronounce. Not this one. It sounds silly. Oh, mm -hmm. this one sounds, you know, exciting. Cytochrome C. Like, why that? <laughs> No, I'm just laugh. I'm just laughing because that that is, you the side across you. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. It is exactly, it. and and this is from someone who watches documentaries about these things for fun, and yet I, it I it works on me. <laughs> so clearly, you know, there there's a reason that they go to that well. Yeah, I mean, I think it, what what it is is I think like the average viewer has kind of a lot less, like science is very technical. And uh, certainly, like, in biology. And it's not, like, wildly publicized. Like, I don't think most... Like, I think the average viewer, the average American, average whatever, average citizen, um, like, if you're not versed in the technical language and sort of minutiae of it, it's, you know, it's all kind of meaningless. You know, like, you, you kind of... People understand, like, a broad concept like cloning, and they're like, oh, it's like making a twin. And that's right. And so then you kind of just apply the logic of, you know, like, well, what can, what are twins like? You know, that's like everyday experience. But like, if you got into like how you would do it, you know, or like what's needed to do it or the caveats of doing it, like technically, like it would just bore people out of their mind, I think. Well, and what I think is interesting, though, about that is that that would have been true for many different fields, even, you know, 20 years ago. But now, you know, the, the, the lay TV watcher, lay person, is going to have a handful of terms they are completely familiar with from the, from the lawyer, lawyer, the law world and lawyer shows, objection, overruled, inadmissible, you know, like there's, there's, a, a, there's a bunch of different terminology that, uh, you know, 
fruit of the poisonous tree that from from that or you know who doesn't know what i need 20 cc's of means or stat or clear i mean there's there's a whole like realm of of terminology that we are far more familiar with for medical and legal and crime procedurals that nobody's really been interested in or or maybe people they don't trust that the audiences will be interested in in, make, in making the viewers, you know, as familiar with that kind of world. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot, a lot might have to do with kind of the knowledge of the the people who write write the shows, right? Like, like I, I don't know about Orphan Black or a lot of shows, but like I'm willing to bet they probably don't necessarily consult with a lot of scientists per se, uh, or they do, but only like a very superficial means, you know. Whereas, like. I feel like lawyer shows, you know, all these things, like, it's, it's, I think it's, you know, it's a lot easier to probably get a lawyer, right? Like, you definitely have lawyers on staff at your, you know, at your production company. So if you wanted to, like, you know, run someone, you know, like, hey, you know, Joe, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, does this sound like normal legalese? And you'd be like, yes, yes, it's good. But, like, you don't have your, your, you know, your resident researcher on set. Well, and and I'm, many of these shows do have have scientific consultants, but even just there being a level of familiarity with for the for the writers with the 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 process and and you know the base levels before they are getting to the specifics for which they you know call in you know the the biologists that they know or the physicists that they, that they know you know who they bring in. I, I it seems like I mean to me, and I'm curious, Sean, what you think about this, but. You know, even you know, some sometimes I'm surprised by the just the the barest min- missing elements, like scientists who don't seem to follow the scientific method. You know, things like things like that that should be basic and ingrained uh, things about you know the approach that these characters take, how they view the world, how they you know approach their work. Science is a slow and ponderous process, and most of the time it doesn't really work the way you expect it to work like like probably about like 80 percent of the work i do in research is trying to make experiments work not actually making the data not making the conclusions not all that like it's just trying to make things work to the point where i can say the results are inconclusive you know (laughs) like it's like that's that's what like actual science is, right? Like you're it's some guy working for like, you know, five years, you know, to make like one bar graph. And he says, Because of this, I now know, you know, that this gene is linked to, you know, this trait. Well, you know, that's not I think like, you know That that's not very sexy. Yeah, it is it isn't very sexy. Like it's not People like sort of like the overarching themes of science, you know, but like most of what you would need to do with it every day is not, is not like glorious. It's not like people just like, you know, having eureka moments all the time. Speaking of another good show for scientists. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, that's a, that is a fun show for just general anything that's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it's never like, the process is always slow, right? But, like, in a show, you've got an hour, right? 45 minutes. And, like, at the end of it, something needs to happen. Like, you can't have, you know, you can't have science, like, in a 24 format, right? Otherwise, it'd be, like, you know, three-fourths of the episodes. Are you waiting around for a gel to run? 
Uh, sorry for that was I was got a bit technical there. No, but, no, no. I think we can handle we can handle running gels. That's 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 not too technical. Um, yeah, but you know, like it's it's like that. It's like saying it's like well, people depict you know photographers in sort of a wrong way because they're always just they're like snapping pictures and then like you know like a second later there's like the finished photographs. You know, like in reality, you know, it takes a lot of like work and editing. <laughs> you know, to like make things work i wonder if it would be useful actually to have that um consultant because just the more i've gotten into television obviously the more i've begun to understand the process of creating it and very rarely do you get series that have just the one writer who takes care of everything you get the showrunners who who at least kind of have their hand everywhere but you know like in in a network show that has between 20 and 24 episodes, you have a whole bunch of screenwriters, and obviously some of them are going to know a little bit more about the material than others, and, and that might put off some of them from talking about some of the more technical material. Um, so, yeah, having more industry consultants, and, and like you said, a lot, it's easier when it's uh, like a law procedural thing because those people are more readily available, but... Uh, that that's surely like a position that could be filled and, and could get use out of, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's like economical or anything. Like, you know, like I have a resident scientist on retainer, but like, you know, like scientists really like talking about science. Like, I don't know of anyone like who like I work with who's not going to be like if you ask them what they do, they're gonna they're gonna talk your ears off. Um. And so, like, I, I think a lot of times, like, you could, you could, you could just approach, you know, like, you just call up like the local university and, like, you say, "Hey, teach me about, you know, DNA and cloning." And I, I think you, I think you'd be amazed at how many of like these, you know, like high-level research scientists are going to take like twenty minutes to explain it to you. Like, that's, you know, a lot of them kind of live to do that. The, the, there's another thing there about having a you know a scientific consultant that that is like the go-to for a given network or, or a production company, and that's I know that we've talked about this in the past a lot. That I know that, that, that this can be a pet peeve as well. Where I want to see a show that has a scientist who some situation comes up and they the the other characters turn to them to solve it. But they can't because it's not their field of expertise. I want to see a show yes. <laughs> where a problem happens that requires a chemist, and there's a scientist there, but they're a biologist or they're a physicist or or, or they're nu- they do they do nuclear fission. It's what they do. So that's not going to help them understand this alien language. And yet somehow, you know, that, that never seems to happen. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, science is a, like a catch-all, you know. You're like, I, I got trained in science, <laughs> so therefore I know everything. I went to the academy and got a degree in science. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it would be – that 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 would certainly be great. Actually, what, what one of the things I would love to see is also people just, like, do science, um, you know, actually in, like, well-lit rooms – I know I mentioned this to you in our offhand conversations, but um, it was like, yeah, if you ever look at it, like in all the shows, like everyone works in like semi-darkness, if not outright darkness. But um, yeah, like like science is like a you know, sort of like this broad collaborative effort. Like, you know, you need lots of people who have lots of different sort of expertise 
And uh, what would also be nice is, like, if the scientists just come back with, like, muddled results. <laughs> They're like, we don't know what's happening. Because, like, half the time you don't know. We know it's not this. You know, like, someone's just like, they were inconclusive. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. We'll just have to wait it out. Well, and that's another element of, of time. Like, like I said, science takes a long time. And, like, I don't know, like, I don't think that translates well into, like, a show. I mean, trials take a long time, too. So, like, I, but, like, at least they kind of do that cutting where they show the different, you know, steps of the process. You're, like, you arraign them, and then you, like, cross-examine them, and then there's, like, the final defense. I guess it would be nice if people showed that, you know, more. But, like, in science, the process itself isn't that exciting. Like, there's not a lot of people sitting around staring at computers, you know, moving small amounts of liquid from one well to another. And that's interesting. That that has me wondering if if a show like Better Off Ted, or uh, or maybe maybe Eureka is a better depiction of some of these characters, because they 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 get to they actually spend their time in the lab. Sort of like how uh, with with Scrubs when we talked to our medical correspondents, or uh, when I was able to talk to our medical correspondents, and they said basically Scrubs is the you know Scrubs and maybe you know parts elements of ER. But really, the feel is much more a show like Scrubs because this is these are these people's daily jobs. So you know they're not constantly being ponderous about uh, if people are going to uh, you know the, the the massive world changing impact of all of this. No, this they clock in and they go to their lab in the morning and they do their job and then they go home and they keep thinking about it at night probably, but. You know, unlike you know, some, some, like a character like Walter Bishop, like a character like Baltar, you know, who who we we actually never seem to really see them. Like a character like Baltar, he spent the first couple of seasons of Battlestar in a lab, but really after that he never was. And I feel like you would have to have gotten rusty. Whereas a show like Better Off Ted, their characters are constantly in the lab and they're constantly trying things out, and usually they're failing. Right, that's true, and it's sort of hilarious. But again, again, like I said, like you know, better off Ted and even Greek. All the scientists are again like tinkerers, right? They always have like the crazy invention of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like what I want to see is the guy who's just like you know trying to understand like the phenomenon, you know, like that's that's I guess what I what I like. I mean, that's what what I like in science is the so I'm personally biased. But, yeah, like, it's a sort of understanding kind of the the underlying, you know, things that govern our universe, you know, yeah. why things work the way they work. And, and like, I, I think that's just not – I mean, I guess you, you need to be, like, a very different show. Like, I guess you, you couldn't have it be about that, but you could have, I guess – like, I guess what I would picture, what I guess I would like is sort of like a show like sort of like The Office, but just set up in a lab, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And because, like, right, everyone there in The Office, like, they sell paper, right? They do all the things that requires to sell paper. But, like, you know, they just have other lives as well. And so you kind of get an idea of what it takes to sell paper after, you know, you watch The Office, right? Like, you have to organize your accounts. You have to sell stuff you know, meet with, like, distributors, et cetera. But, like, you know, I guess you, you can't really you can't really make it about the science because the science would be boring unless you make it crazy invention of the week. Then it's not really science. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Uh, do we have any other topics we want to dive into more specifically? And we touched on um, we touched on uh, Orphan Black. I wanted to ask: Is Neolution actually a thing? Like, what is that? Not it's not a real thing. I think they just invented that for the show. Okay. I mean, my 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 two cents on it is like, I mean, is that it's it was basically eugenics. I mean, mm-hmm. in my opinion, like it's it's very, it's very close to it. And I mean, I guess. They kind of wanted to sort of be that way, and they didn't want to just call it eugenics because that would like tip the hand, I think, too much. Oh, it's hard to it's hard to think that the the person preaching eugenics is maybe a good guy. <laughs> yeah, like you, you can't like we're, we're we're society has become pretty convinced now uh, that eugenics is just wrong. But uh, you know, so like if you kind of want to bring up eugenic topics, you can't really call it eugenics. But. Um, but I mean, in many ways, like I don't—I mean, it's kind of now, sort of like a little soapbox here. But like in many ways, like the the whole concepts of eugenics are probably never going to sort of go away, right? Like if anything, today we are we would be better at doing eugenics than they were in the past. You know, like in the in the early twentieth century when they came up with a concept. Uh, I mean, it was it was invented by like some of their best biologists and scientists of their day, like with what they thought, you know, how they thought things worked. It happened that they were racist and that what they thought was kind of wrong, like the actual biology, they weren't exactly right on it. Uh, But I mean, now I guess we're less racist and we know more biology. So we could probably do some sort of eugenics and we'll call it like neolution, but uh, you know, like you kind of want to improve yourself. And that's, uh, you know, improving yourself in humanity is this pretty old concept. Well, and with increasing, uh, like, gene therapy and with, uh, you know, doing, like, g- testing of, of infants in utero and all of that stuff and gene selection, you know, t- talking about uh, designer babies and all of that stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more shows examining these topics as they become more mainstream and more part of people uh, – let's say a particular group of people's meaning very rich people's options when they're you know looking at when they're having kids. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I think the probably the most sort of like eugenic thing we do today is we screen for like, you know, babies that have, um, you know, syndromes like down syndrome and like, you know, you abort them. Like that's kind of like, you know, highly eugenic practice. Like you're wiping out, you know, undesirable humans uh based on their genetic conditions it's definitely a a topic that that yeah it's definitely a topic that's that's you know of discussion in the country yeah yeah and i mean what i'm saying is like genetic testing you know like is is becoming cheaper really so like i don't think it's even necessarily like maybe like if you want to like insert special genes into like the people maybe that'd be something for the rich but, like, most people and most insurance plans now cover various forms of testing for babies, right? You check them for certain genetic diseases that we know of. And um, we're better able to predict various potentials, right, for, you know, potential for, like, breast cancer and other things. Yeah. And so then, like, and then like the option to, like, you know, to go through with a pregnancy of the child if you know, like, the risk factors, like, exists, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, you kind of choose what you do. Uh, so, like, like I said, like, we, we, it's probably a lot more imminent. And I guess it would be interesting to see a show sort of tackle it. 
Um, if a show would be willing to, if they wouldn't be scared off by the controversy. Sean, what do you think? Would they? Uh, could you imagine a, a network show being willing to, to court that controversy? Definitely not the broadcast networks because they tend to play it safe. You know, I don't think that it's out of the question given that there's been a few recent TV shows that have tackled relatively controversial topics. But that would be really interesting to see, definitely. I mean, I have no idea. I would, I mean, from a marketing standpoint, like, I feel like I would stay away with it, stay away <laughs> from it. Like, like you're, I don't think there's any way to please anyone on this. But, um, but I guess, yeah, like, if you just want to, I mean, I, you'd need, like, really good, good writing. Yeah, it, easy but, to do uh, that one wrong. Easy to do that one wrong. I think what the what this discussion has made me think about and, and what I'm going to look for going forward is just uh, I prefer shows not to relegate scientists to just the scientist role so that they're limited to occasionally popping in and saying one or two things, whether that's inaccurate or not. Um, I think like making those characters actual characters allows the writer or even kind of forces the writer to to learn a little bit more about that to make that side of the the writing the the medical or the the scientific side more believable you know the the best thing to do is to kind of try to read up on science and like general topics yourself right like there is like information available about how like it actually works. Mm-hmm. Um, and what actually happens, and I think like if 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 the if the audience itself sort of becomes more aware, you know, of like what science is, like it, it basically f- forces everything to kind of get in line with being more sort of accurate and better, and sort of less whimsical, or at least it it, it opens up the possibility for like, you know, more realistic depictions. Well, and when you say that, that, you know, that connects in with, there are a few things that I would like to see from science and scientists on TV. Um, and that is, first of all, more women, because there are so, so very few, so very few that are certainly that are characters that show up more, for more than five minutes to hand a stack of papers to a detective. Uh, you know, obviously, I thought of, I thought of Sam Carter from Stargate. I thought of uh, Scully, but she, her, her, the fact that she's a physicist like never comes up on the X Files. They pretty much just have her cut into. She's people. a physicist. She's a physicist. Yeah. She, I did she, not know that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then, despite the issues I may have with it, uh, and with the progression of some of of, of one of these characters, uh, I do really appreciate that. They brought on both uh, Amy uh, Bernadette and Amy onto Big Bang Theory, and actually had. You know, very intelligent, uh, interesting scientist female characters on that show instead of just having it be the guys and the cute girl who lives next door who has moxie. Yeah, so so there the fact that I could think of hardly any sci- female scientists and Kasima from Orphan Black is another one, but there's there's almost none and certainly very few that actually seem to do science and do scientific things and approach the world in a scientific way. And that is really disheartening. Uh, so that's one. And the other is, I I would be I would be interested to see more scientists who are or depictions of science being less uh, black and white. And by black and white, I mean either evil cackling villain, or the closest we come to really white is like 
is is a character who is going for the good thing but doing horrible things in their lab because the more extreme the more interesting uh and so like i would like to see you know more realistic depiction of you know the as opposed to cackling and evil and bent on world domination because they're smart and so i guess they want that uh or they're uh completely altruistic and are trying to like to be a, a cancer researcher or something like that and you know they aren't they, they, st- they don't they tend to be these really s- substantial I- ideological either for good or ill kind of things and there seems to be less just i want to i want to understand stuff and i'm curious about the world but i don't want to dominate it you know a neutral scientist you mean <laughs> yeah yeah you're just just like you know more <laughs> If you're gonna have that tinkerer character, and, and I guess they there are there often seem to be the the scientist characters tend to be very self serving, the ones that I could think of at least. Uh, they tend to be very, uh, very selfish and very internal and uh, focused purely on on their work and on themselves. I it was hard to think of very many altruistic mad scientists or just like science t- scientists kind of characters obviously the doctor from doctor who is one but there there aren't very many yeah i mean yeah well because that goes back to the stereotype right like if you're like a weird genius recluse like are you really gonna be like this outgoing altruist that's true like no like <laughs> you're gonna be this mad recluse who like tinkers in a basement and makes like various crazy things because that's what you do doesn't care about people anyway yes yes you know <laughs> and the last thing i have to mention we can't have a podcast about tv scientists without me mentioning uh bill nye the science guy and cosmos which is going on right now and, and and also, uh, I know these, obviously, those are real people, but Dr. Bunsen Honeydew had to get a shout out for me on this podcast. But I, I grew up watching Bill Nye the Science Guy and uh, absolutely loved it. I'm so glad that Cosmos is back. And I'm all for more, uh, you know, represent, representations of science as, you know, fact and as something that's interesting and something that is engaging, being gear, geared towards kids and towards families. Uh, did you guys watch Bill Nye or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I watched Bill Nye, and I also watched, uh, there was, uh, I guess, something called Beekman's World. But, like, mm-hmm. the, the big thing I watched as a kid that, like, really kind of, like, puts an interest in science is actual, you know, like, is actual documentaries about science. Like, in fact, that's probably the, the best depictions of science on TV are, you know, shows like The Universe and, uh, you know, How the Earth Was Made. Uh, these are more recent ones, right? Like the actual documentaries about fields in science, in this case, astronomy slash geology. And it would be nice if they made more things like that for biology. Um, because, you know, like the actual science itself is very interesting. And, uh, yeah, like an actual documentary, I think, is as mesmerizing and fascinating, at least for me, they were as, like, any sort of crazy scientist on Eureka ever was. Yeah, everything I know about science I got from Bill Nye and Dexter's Lab, so I think I'm more or less a PhD candidate because of that. That sounds about right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, this has been so much fun. Um, Closing thoughts, yay science? Oh, what? Yeah, science! (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, Jesse. 
this has been uh, so much fun. Thank you, Vlad, so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> this has been a blast. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.